And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, kids, how are we doing this week? I'm getting a late start on things. Um, typically, I record this show a Monday before the... Let's see, how do I say this? I almost do it like two weeks in advance. So if I do it a Monday, then the previous weeks monday comes out on that thursday um i've had some personal issues that i've had to deal with so today is saturday and though as far as like release time wise there won't be no difference um, because it'll still come out on thursday which everybody's expecting it i'm actually recording a little bit late so we are jumping in and finding out what is going on this week. There's plenty of things to talk about. I was trying to get my son to come in and uh, join me in this conversation because uh, opening night on Thursday, he and I went and saw Venom. Uh, we went and, and seen the 8 o'clock showing in uh, 3D. And it... it um, it was a movie. I, I won't say it was bad, because it wasn't bad at all. But if you're a Spider-Man fan, you're not going to like this movie. Uh, everything, literally everything, from beginning to end, was just not correct. And uh, I don't know why... They went this route because they. I know that they've already said this isn't part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that um, you know Kevin Fargie's already said nope. You know this has nothing to do with us and what we're planning. This is all on Sony, and um, you know it was it was it. You know it it shouldn't have been just called Venom. It should have been called Five Minutes of Venom, maybe Ten Minutes of Venom. That was my biggest hang-up about it. Um, I'm going to try not to spoil too much for you, and I'll, I'll of course, have it in the the uh, description of the podcast that, you know, I'll, I'll probably throw out some spoilers for the movie if you haven't seen it yet, but, uh, you know, it's definitely something, it's brand new and it's worth talking about. Um, before I get into that, let me just talk a little bit about this article that's right here in front of me, and it's Venom set to blow past its opening weekend estimates. And it says, after initial estimates had Venom eyeing around 60 million plus opening, the first of Sony's Spider-Man spinoff films is projected to beat expectations and earn a pretty marvelous $80 million, so $20 million more than you know what they, what they initially expected. What makes 
that all the more important or impressive rather is that the film is facing stiff competition with Warner Brothers A Star is Born remake. And you know, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I I heard about it, you know, the movie, but I, I have no clue what that movie is even about. I have to look into it. I don't even think it's uh you know, it's different genre, so it's different marketing. So I'm not sure. That's that's kind of interesting. <sighs> okay, I'm I'm rambling. Uh let's see. The Warner Brothers Star is Born remake, which will take home roughly about $42.2 million over the weekend. Um, and then it goes on. It says, even though the numbers were slightly lower come Monday, Venom will easily overtake the prior record for biggest October opening and record that formerly belonged to 2013's Gravity with a $55.7 million. You know, I've never seen that movie. It was just one of those things that never caught my attention. I mean, I've heard about it. I heard it was, like, amazing. I just never saw it. The film also earned the record for biggest opening day take in October was a surprising $32.9 million on Friday. That record previously belonged to Paranormal Activity 3 opening day, which saw horror sequels earn $26.3 million. Despite the trailer seemingly getting fans talking for all the wrong reasons, whether then it be mispronunciation of the symbiote. Oh, yeah. that <laughs> Symbiote. I, I can't even. Yeah. It's, that, that, it's symbiote. Oat. But yeah, that's that's a total different. Or the strange voiceover choice for the symbiote himself. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of it depends on what you hear. I mean, I actually I as far as that went, I had no problem with it. I thought that that was it, it fit. I honestly did. I, I had no problem with it. But the symbiote, yeah, no. That, uh, let's see, that response doesn't seem to have affected Venom in any major way. More often than not, bad reviews tend to affect box office's estimates, typically resulting in lower numbers when all is said and done. Despite mixed reactions to the film from critics, the film's audience score Rotten Tomatoes currently at 89%, which is much larger than the critical score 31%, possibly explaining why the film's low critical score didn't hurt it that much. Um, because, I don't know, most likely it's this, it's, People are going to see, and I've said this before, and I'm going to try not to get into a rant because we've got so much to cover today. Film, people go to see film for different reasons, okay? And that's what this is, is it's a film. It's not for the comic book fans, obviously. It's for the pseudo fans, the hipsters that are into being proclaimed nerds that's what this movie's for 
So it's being graded on as a horror movie by film critics, which scored 31%. And if it was, if you project it in the light of being a, a horror film, I would actually have given it a much lower score than 31%. Um, and in the, the eyes of the comic book fan, it's that. So from what I'm seeing, 89%. Okay, so I'm seeing 11% of those that went and seen the movie were comic book fans. And that's why you have 89%, which are just people that are going to see the movie that proclaim that they're Marvel fans and they're comic book fans and they're just in the trend and everything is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that's what you got 89% on. All right. Um, you know, it, it's just, I'm trying to, I don't know. I mean, it just, it wasn't okay. And that's, that's pretty much the end of the, the article. It says in theaters now by Ruben Fisher, Fisher, whatever his name is, Tom Hardy. Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about this. My my first qualm is that Eddie Brock was a hot-headed bully. He was not some hotshot expose YouTube, uh, you know, Reporter, columnist, whatever you want to call him. He didn't have a solid, you know, moral background. And he was not a coward. And that's my biggest, biggest irritation of this whole thing is when he's not with Venom, he is a coward. And that did not set well with me. It was, in fact, they they called him the the p word. Well, uh, Venom did, you know, because they they have their back and forth, and they they call him the p word. And uh, if you're wondering why, I'm, I'm, if you're new to the show or anything, I do not swear. Um, it just so happens now that both my kids listen to this show. Um, my third kid's still too young to even know what a podcast is, but my my going on seventeen year old and my seven year old they both listen to this, so I'm not going to swear. Um, and you know, I just didn't settle with me because Venom, Eddie Brock, is a villain. That was what he was originally. He was a villain, and because he was so cool looking. They made him an anti-villain. And from now, what I understand, and I mean, I, granted, this has been three years since I read something. He's part of Guardians of the Galaxy now. Venom is. I'm like, wow, okay. So uh, I'm starting to digress. Let's just bring it back over. Okay. Um, so that is another thing um, that just popped into my head, too, is that it's rated PG-13. But uh, I know there's at least one F-bomb in there. And it just, 
it must have been really on the cusp of rated R. Now, if I would have taken my my uh, seven year old uh, because she's she's into comic books, she likes comic book movies. Um, I probably would have been a little upset because of the content. Now I know they're saying PG thirteen. Why would you take a seven year old to PG thirteen? Well, because it's a Marvel movie technically. And they keep it in a frame of of way it's supposed to be. Now, yes, I do realize that when Venom first came out, it was supposed to be rated R. But you know what? They probably went to the uh, the Movie Association of America. Uh, was it Motion Picture? Motion the MPAA, um, and got it talked down into a PG thirteen because, in my perspective. With the the type the type of violence the the profanity that's used um, the everything it, it did not feel like even suitable for someone who's thirteen to be honest with you and that was kind of my my other hang up about it now I get that they're trying they were trying to meet the the level of Wolverine because you know uh, Logan came out and it was rated R and I know people didn't like it I I liked the movie um, I know they they got X twenty three completely wrong but you know it's Fox they they never get nothing right with the X Men so just leave it at that and I know people out there that are X Men fans and X twenty three fans are like yep yep they can't get crap right. <laughs> they can't. They literally cannot. Um, uh, I'm digressing. Boy, I'm really digressing today. Uh, let's see. Let me see if I can bring this back in. Um, so, because Wolverine is a, a an adult character. You know, children really don't follow. There's no child, children's meet Wolverine cartoon, you know, as where... Venom falls into the Spider-Man universe and or Spider-Verse is uh, animated movie is coming out and there is, you know, the superhero squad is the first thing that pops into my head, which is a Spider-Man. It, it's essentially it's it's Avengers for like toddlers and adolescents, you know, before like you get the five. So there's that level of maturity that you have to go into to even understand this. Um, so when you make something like Venom, because Venom fits into, in fact, I think Venom actually, there is an episode of Venom in the Superhero Squad. I have three kids. Trust me, I'm sure I've seen it before. Um, so... It just doesn't fit that mechanics that Wolverine would fit because Wolverine is a mature character as where because Venom is inside the Spider-Verse, not so much. I know. I hope that makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to put it together as much as I can. But, yeah. So, okay. Moving on. Um, my, my other hang-up about it was the fact that it was 10 minutes of Venom and 110 minutes of 
Eddie Brock or Tom Hardy. I just, I know they're like, oh, we're trying to make it realistic. No, that's not realistic. You know, number one, you're going into um, the storyline and you have to suspend the amount of belief just to even get there. Okay, I'm cool with that. I'm a comic book fan. I have no problem. But just call call an apple an apple, okay? You were being greedy. You were trying to approach this and save money because you can totally see that in your CG because the CG was just not well done. Um, there was a couple scenes where you could literally see where the, the chroma key was not done correctly, and you can kind of see the outline of the actor against the, the, the green screen chroma key, and it was just like, oh, my God. You know, what was your budget? Like $250 million, and you can kind of tell what the chroma, the chroma key – chroma key, by the way, is a program that's used in professional Hollywood for green screen effects. And it was that was that was a biggie that takes you right out of the film. But because it was all about now there and I read some other things. They're like, well, we 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 took the approach of uh, Batman Begins. Well, Batman Begins kind of follows the the story of how Batman becomes Batman. I own it. I've seen it many times. And then here, they don't even follow anything. They, they mention that he was from New York, but that's about it. And that, you know, it was an alien ship that this guy, uh, what was his name? Carlton Drake um, had commissioned to to get the symbiotes in study them so they could go to Mars spoilers or live in space or some silliness like that. Okay. There was no connection to Spider-Man, which kind of like number one, if it's venom, it should have had a white spider. I'm sorry. It just, that's just the way it should have been. So everything was just wrong on it guys. And I, I don't mean to come across hating on it because as a film, it was entertaining. I was entertained um, for the film's sake. Now, I can say that I'm not a big Spider-Man fan. Now, Jay, my son, he is. And he said it was okay. It was a, it was a decent movie. And, of course, he, he went through and said, you know, this is what was wrong with it. But... He said, for the movie's sake, being a movie, he agreed with me. It was a decent movie. You know, and, and yes, we liked the idea that they came. Uh, I don't know if it was just for opening night or if they're doing this, but uh, we we got free comic, Venom comic, when we, we picked up our tickets. So that was kind of neat, too. And I haven't read it, so I don't know if I should have read it going into the movie to make more sense. But, you know, I thought that was it was okay. Um, it's something that I won't be purchasing when it comes out on Blu-ray, and um, 
I just don't. I really have no desire to see it again, to be honest with you. Um, that's just kind of the way I see it. And uh, I don't know. I, I uh, Again, I'm, I'm trying not to sound like I'm being a hater because the movie was decent. It wasn't that bad. But um, it's just definitely not something. It's not like the Avengers, you know. Uh, Avengers was really good. Speaking of Avengers, did you guys know that they are actively working on a Dark Avengers movie? I, I was just telling Jay, again, my son, uh, about this before we started talking, and he didn't even realize it. And I was like, yeah, I was going through news articles, and I found one that talks about it a little bit. And um, the article says it's Dark Avengers movie script reportedly in development at Marvel Studios. And I'm like, okay, that's that. Okay, that that's piqued my interest. This is obviously where it's going to go after the next Avengers movie. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, let's see what it says here. Let me blow this up real fast so I can read it <clears throat> because I'm old and my eyes are going out. <clears throat> okay, uh, it says. The future of Marvel Cinematic Universe after the events of Avengers 4 come clear and the future is looking dark. After yesterday's rumor that the new movie would be titled Avengers Annihilation, a new report has popped up courtesy of Hashtag Show indicating one of the next big crossover films could be Dark Avengers. The report does not indicate that such a movie is being put into production yet, but that a script for the production has recently been completed. As an outlet states, Marvel Studios does commission many scripts that many different potential franchises and not all of them actually come to fruition. But it does provide a potential glimpse into the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe post-Avengers 4 and how the vacuum of star power could be filled should Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., and Chris Helmsworth decide to exit the franchise. Now, I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But in the comics, Dark Avengers are the new iteration of the Thunderbolts. If you don't know what the Thunderbolts are, um, the best way to describe the Thunderbolts is think Suicide Squad, but Marvel. That's, that's pretty much the best way I can describe them. Uh, that team uh, started out as a group of supervillains the, replacing the Avengers who went missing under the new heroic identities. Now, if you remember, when I had Mike on, Mike Lutz, we were talking about Heroes Reborn. That's what this was, was part of the Heroes Reborn thing. The, the heroes are destroyed, killing Onslaught, and they disappear. And oh, that, it all it's all fitting together. It's all making sense now. Very interesting. Okay. Um, so 
the supervillains replacing the Avengers who went missing under the new heroic identities, though they were found, or they were quickly found out. Later on, the team became part of a uh, poison reform system with incarcerated supervillains during the heroic deeds in order to shave time off of their sentence. Kind of like DC Suicide Squad. Yep, I now I hadn't I had not read this, but yeah, you know we're on the same track here. That makes me feel good. That means I know what I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, it says the reformed Green Goblin Norm, Norman Osborn led the team during the events of Secret Invasion, in which the Scrolls tried to take over the Earth. Osborn eventually delivered a killing blow to the Scroll leader being heralded as the savior and given control over S.H.I.E.L.D., which he quickly rebranded and reorganized as Hammer. Remember Hammer Kids? Uh, what is that? Uh, Movie-wise, thank Iron Man 2. Justin Hammer. Though they did some good, the team was more about exerting control rather than saving the day. That shouldn't be surprising when the Dark Avengers consisted of former Scorpion, who was in possession of the, the Venom symbiote suit. Symbiote. Symbiote. Good God. Now I'm doing it. Uh, as Spider-Man, Daredevil, Foe, Bullseye, was Hawkeye, Logan's evil son, Dakin was Wolverine, Moonstone was Miss Marvel, and Osborne himself was in Tony Stark's Iron Patriot suit. Yeah, I remember that. I, I do remember that. Given how Captain Marvel will showcase the storyline of the Kree-Scroll War, it makes sense that Marvel Studios would want to build on those events and probably kick off Secret Invasion which, with a bang, providing a new team of intriguing heroes that could continue to plague our favorite for years to come. We will see Marvel Studios actually grow as it goes through with these plans in the coming years. But first, we have to see what happens in Avengers 4, which is due in theaters May 3rd, 2019. Yep, that's a couple, couple days. Well, actually five days before I turn 42. So I know what I'm doing for my birthday. Um, okay, so since it was kind of brought up in the last article, let's go ahead and touch on this. Um, Chris Evans, I guess, during this week said that after this, after Avengers 4, he's finished with being Captain America in the cinematic Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I guess that didn't set well with a lot of people. And Robert Downey Jr. responds to Chris Evans' farewell. And I don't know. I don't know what's said. But I know that there was something that was formed in the process of making these movies as friendship-wise. So I can only assume that he's probably not really happy about it. Because, you know, it, it's the person that, I don't know, 
I, I'm, I'm speculating. Let's find out what it says. It says, if you were among the countless Marvel Cinematic Universe fans made emotional by Chris Evans' fair, recent farewell to Captain America, you may want to steady yourself because now Robert Downey Jr. has weighed in. On Thursday, Evans marked the conclusion of his Avengers 4 reshoot and thus his Marvel Studios contract, which a tweet that read, Playing the role over the last eight years has been an honor. To everyone in front of the camera, behind the camera, and in the audience, thank you for the memories. Eternally grateful. The message may have even made... Deadpool star Ryan Reynolds a little teary-eyed. But this morning, Downey, who helped to launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2008 with Iron Man, offered his own thoughts on Evans, emphasized by Avenger Toy Story mashup that will undoubtedly get fans, as they say, right in the feels. And it says, to infinity and beyond, but it says, into infinity war. It's like written war and beyond. It's a, a screen caption. And it's supposed to be, uh, it's Buzz Lightyear as Iron Man and Woody as Captain America. And it's Robert Downey Jr.'s. Was it Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. And it says, we all know who the real sheriff in town is, Chris Evans. <laughs> that was a, that was a, yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, Evans confirmed in March that Avengers 4 will conclude his Marvel Studios contract, which has spanned eight years in nine films, including cameos in Thor Dark World, Ant-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming that weren't part of his original six-picture deal. His contract was initially supposed to end with Avengers Infinity War, but was extended the agreement to encompass Avengers 4. Downey extended his own Marvel deal to, to in 2013 to include Captain America Civil War, Infinity War, and sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming was added to the result of another round of negotiations in 2016. But Avengers 4 is also expected to more the end of Downey's more than decade-long tour of duty in Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. The two reunite next year as Joe and Anthony Russo's Avengers 4 alongside Chris Helmsworth, Mark Garofalo, Jeremy Renner, Scarlett Johansson, and, well, you know, the whole shebang uh, will be there. Uh, you know, since I brought up Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner made some interesting news this week. And... You know, I wish they would bring more more information, but they're they're keeping it pretty tight lipped, which is kind of interesting. Um, I guess to create more interest in this franchise, um, and it's actually it was from ToyNews.com is where I found it of all places, and it's Jeremy Renner joins McFarlane's Bloomhouse Spawn. McFarland Talks Project. So, that's interesting. And then, as you, you're scrolling down, you see uh, Jeremy Renner, and then next to him is Twitch. So, I'm like, oh, okay, is he going to play Twitch? So, it says, Deadline is reporting Jeremy Renner will star alongside Jamie Foxx in Spawn. 
the Bloomhouse film that makes the directional debut of Todd McFarlane from his scripted adaptation of the comic book creation. Renner will be playing the character of Detective Twitch Williams. I was right. Okay. The unconventional detective is near fearless and complicates Spawn's demonic powers. Jason Bloom told sources, Jeremy is the ideal choice for Twitch Williams. I, okay. He, uh, where did I just, doggone it, I just lost my place. <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay, he radiates honesty, intelligence, and hardworking, everyman charisma, the same qualities that make Twitch such a compelling character. Fox, you know, Jamie Fox, is set to play the title character who started out in the comic books as Al Simmons, a member of the CIA Black Ops team who is twice betrayed after being set up by cohorts to be murdered with his corpse being set aflame. Simmons is then double-crossed in hell. He is convinced to become a hellspawn warrior in exchange for being able to reunite with his wife only to find himself stuck in a demonic creature shell and his wife moved on and married his best friend. Spawn turns his rage on street scum and revenge. He realizes a long ago that he can't battle the constant evil premeditating the globe alone and must enlist the aid of humans to help him fight the war. It says, as first-time director, I want to be surrounded myself with the most talented and most skilled people I can have on all fronts, Todd McFarlane told sources. I was lucky enough to land Jason Bloom and Jamie Foxx, and I knew the person on screen the most is the police officer, Twitch Williams. We needed a, as strong a person as possible because he will be the face of the film. I took my naive Hollywood approach again and said, let's start at the top and work down. Jeremy was at the top. I'm a huge fan of his. The character doesn't need to be a bodybuilder or GQ handsome. I was looking for someone who's a person you can meet before. I needed someone who could pull off the grief of an average human being. I seen Jeremy do that in more than a few of his movies. He was at the top of my list, just like Jamie. The next step for the project will to be a lock lock in a distributor to set financing on the film that will likely carry ten to twelve million dollar budget, a rated R and franchise potential. Jason and I feel we have a strong package here. McFarland said, Academy Award nominee, Academy Award nominated actor, the first time director. I guess I, I, I'm the weak link, but I think my brand is strong. Hopefully, when we go to the studios fairly soon, we'll get the interest of more than one and we can pick what place we want to do the project justice marketing and distributing it we're going to go as close to green light as we can get since development progress has already begun 
or been done rather. We're looking for someone to say, yeah, cool. We'll take it. It's a reasonable budget. We're not asking anyone to stretch. The goal here is quality is a quality project at a reasonable price. And that that pretty much sums up Mark Farland as everything he's ever done. That's that that's him. I think he's an awesome person. I think he's a great creator, amazing artist, and he's a heck of a business guy. He really is. He knows his stuff. And I, I think it's um, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. I, I'm looking forward to the movie. Since we're talking about McFarlane, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, he's got his fingers in a lot of different things. And, and I kind of stumbled across this uh, because I was going through McFarlane.com. And this one's – this particular topic is actually for my daughter um, – because once she hears this, she's going to go bonkers. Um, one of her favorite games that she likes to play on the computer is Hello Neighbor. And she plays the thing constantly. It's it's one of her favorite things to play all the time. Anyway, um, this one's for you, kiddo. It's Hello Neighbor action figures are coming. Oh, she's going to go nuts. I can hear her bouncing around in the background right now. Um, well, she's not here. But I'm just saying, you know, as soon as she hears this. And it says, Hello Neighbor is a stealth horror game that features artificial intelligence, AI, that is sure to give players a thrill. It is a suspenseful game that has a new twist and turn around every corner. The latest twist is Hello Neighbor action figures slated to hit shelves soon. But first, to get your hands on a new Hello Neighbor action figure by pre-ordering them. All pre-orders are fulfilled before regular orders. And it's the neighbor shows what he's going to look like. That's pretty cool. I I might I'm not going to have to might. I'm going to I'm going to have to buy one. It says, uh, stay tuned to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for more updates, giveaways, and more. And it says, see, Hello Neighbor construction construction set here. Well, let me just take a peek here. Um, I'm going to see how much this is here. Oh, let's say 18 bucks. You can pre-order it on Amazon. 18 bucks. That's not bad. So I might have to get that for my kiddo. So that'll be really cool. I think she'd like that a lot. So there you go. If you're any anybody that uh, collects action figures, um, you can head over to McFarland.com and check it out. There's there's a whole bunch of new stuff coming out here soon. So I, I think you'll dig it. Okay, kids, we are wrapping this thing up here as we're coming around the corner. And uh, this just caught my eye because we were talking about it. Um, what was it? I don't remember what episode we were talking about the She-Ra. But uh, there's some more information that's been let loose. And I, I think it's it's uh, it, it develops the character from what we knew back in the 80s to the new character 
that's coming out here very shortly. And um, pretty much the only thing that's going to be similar to what we remember as children in the 80s is the name She-Ra. And everything else essentially is going to be different. I remember it was my, my mom. She took me to the movies and we actually seen She-Ra. And that, I, before that, I didn't even know who She-Ra was. I mean, I was a big He-Man fan, but I didn't realize who She-Ra was. And, um, oh gosh, that was in the 80s, like mid-80s. Tell you how old I was. Uh, maybe six or seven, I'm thinking. Maybe. I, I would have to look up She-Ra and, and find out um, what what year that movie came out. Let's see. I've got a little bit of time to kill. Let's just find out. I'm curious. So let's find out. I'm looking here. I always like to see if I can find it on like IMDb. Typically is is uh, what I go for here. IMDb. Da, 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 da. I'm getting a lot of Wikipedia stuff here. And I wonder, you know, that actually just caught my, uh, as I'm thinking, I wonder, um, I wonder if He-Man and She-Ra are going to be related because they were brother and sister originally. So let's see, IMDB checking this out here. Okay, so it's 1985. So I was actually I was I was eight in '85. So there you go. Still a kid. All right. Anyway, jumping back to this article so we can wrap things up and I can send you on your way. It says Shira Noel Stevenson on Katra and Shira's new relationship. Um, and let's scroll down. It says, fans of the original She-Ra, Princess of Power, will no doubt remember one of the Princess of Power's biggest rivals was Katra, the horde soldier with the power to transform into a panther. With the use of a magic mask stolen from Queen of the Magic Cats. In the pilot, Adora was her force captain before defecting to the Rebellion. And the two remained enemies for the remainder of the series. Netflix's new She-Ra Princess of Power series sees a similar origin story for Adora and Katra. So, far as they both enforce training in the Fright Zone with other members of the Horde when the series starts... Adora discovers the Sword of Protection in the Enchanted Forest after leaving the Fright Zone, meeting Glamour and Bo, and eventually joining the Rebellion when she sees what the new Horde is really up to on Athena. Sure, He-Man's been eliminated from the equation, but the bones of the story are pretty much unchanged except for one key aspect, that Adora's relationship with Katra. Instead of the two going with essentially co-workers to enemies, Noelle Stevenson's story introduced them both as best friends raised in the Horde together. Possibly the only real family either 
has ever known. This makes Adora's eventual change in loyalty essentially resistant considering she's leaving behind real relationships that were based on truth even in the upbringing was based on a lie according to stevenson their friendship serves as a foundation for both of their journeys as the show moves forward which is a dramatic change from the 80s cartoon that was one thing that i knew about my version of the show stevenson told the press new york comic con one that it was something that the executive I have developed it with, she said. You know, I always kind of thought that Adora and Katra should know each other. They should have grown up together. Why did they never have any kind of connection? And I was like, I love it. It also just a relationship that I really gravitated towards. She's sort of like people who are inseparable, who shape each other so, so much so that when the moment that they sort of remove from that, where they grow past each other, Adora and Katra, they're so codependent at the beginning of the show, so, so much of Adora's journey to being a hero and Katra from being a villain that they have to figure out who they are outside of the relationship with each other. It's so fraught. It's so tragic in so many ways, especially Katra. She takes it really, really personally, Stevenson continued. For Katra, it's personal. For Adora, it's ideological. She's like, I need to do the thing that's right, even if I leave behind the person who is so important to me. And Katra's like, how could you do that? That could possibly be the most important thing in the relationship we have. And so that just being always been a relationship dynamic that I've really gravitated towards, and I really want to showcase the complexity of it here. The relationship between Adora and Katra marks just one more way Stevenson has updated the original property to reflect the ways of storytelling that has evolved 30 years since She-Ra, Princess of Power, aired. Characters' images have been changed to exhibit more diversity and body positivity, and the character of Bo has been tweaked to, be, to have two fathers in an effort to represent the uh, LGBTQ community. And now Katra and She-Ra has a relationship that deepens their ad adversity rather than just being two women who once competed for the attention of the same father figure who lives still revolves around him. A bet the different orbits. Uh, Stevenson's proved herself more than capable of creating something new but familiar from the bones of something old. There you have it, kids. I, I, yeah. Whew, that's gonna be something. I'll tell you what, kids. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I don't really have much to say about that. Um, you can tell I, I haven't been recording much. I'm already losing my voice. But uh, let's go ahead and get out of here and call it a week. Thank you for stopping by. Um, come back next week and we'll do it all over again because, you know, being a nerd is a revolving door. There's always something going on. So for this week, for my public life as an American nerd, 
I am your host, David K. Montoya, and I bid you adieu.